Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I'm excited because I have with me Aaron Schultz, who is the founder of Her Personal Finance and a Harvard Business School alum. Uh, today, Aaron and I are going to talk about personal finance, as well as very specifically what she is doing with her company, Her Personal Finance, in terms of empowering women with the financial insights and information and training that they need to achieve their own personal financial goals. I love this topic. I think it's really important. And I would also love to hear from more from Erin just about what she is doing and how she's going about to build her business and what her goals are for it. So let's just jump right in. So first and foremost, Erin, thank you so much for joining, uh, for chatting with me today. And before we dive in, I always love to start with a warm-up question. And so I would love to know from you, would you mind maybe sharing a, a recent book or a recent article that you've read recently that you thought was really interesting or thought-provoking? Al, first of all, thank you for having me and creating this platform. And we were talking right before the recording that you have just taken the leap into full-time entrepreneurship as well. So feel really lucky to get to be talking to you at this moment. But to answer your question, and I was thinking about this as I was preparing for today a little bit, but I read an article in the Washington Post about Squid Game, which is the most watched show, or they're, they're saying it's going to be the most watched ever on Netflix. And I think it relates back to money. So it really had me thinking, and I'm a scaredy cat. I, I won't watch the show that my husband's been watching, and I've been kind of peeking over his shoulder. And obviously for people who are watching or who haven't seen it yet, it's a lot about class conflict and people who are feeling really desperate for money and so who decide to partake in this game where the stakes are really high and they actually have the opportunity to opt out of the game and without spoiling too much at one point even after seeing how violent and how many people are dying some many of the participants decide to opt back in and it just had me thinking a lot about my money philosophy because obviously this is a pretty extreme example but I do think that when we're stressed about money we made a lot worse decisions than we would otherwise. And so have been thinking a lot about the premise of the show and, and sort of class conflict in South Korea, but also in the U.S. and what that means for all of us. Thank you for sharing that. And as you're talking about that out loud, I kept thinking to myself, as you drew the parallel to what you're doing, is it uh, life imitates art or is it art imitates life? Or maybe it's a little bit of both, but I definitely can see how that relates even to, or the parallels you drew just from watching, you know, that piece of content and media uh, to your everyday life and the things that you do. So thank you for sharing that. And I, I do want to dive in a little bit more to what you're doing with Her Personal Finance, but maybe let's just start, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Where did you grow up? What are some things about you that the audience should know about? I'm from Houston, very proud fourth generation Texan, and actually maybe related a little bit to the previous question about Squid Game. I think that the Enron scandal and thinking about ethics and business and also things people do for money that can be unethical weighed heavily upon me because in high school, 
I knew so many people who lost a lot of money. I think the CFO had been a speaker at my high school as I was graduating. And some of the teachers, because they, they thought he was just such an impassioned speaker, made big investments into Enron. So that's sort of a side note, but I do think that that is definitely in the background in terms of part of why I am particularly interested in working with MBAs and also think about money in the way that I do. Was a management consultant out of college, like many people pre-business school, did that for five years, always kind of knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial and said, okay, I'm going to go to business school and I either want to come out working at a job in the nonprofit field, which has kind of always been my passion, or I want to be starting my own thing and ended up after school taking a job, you know, I was really passionate about food taking a job in food grocery, which was sort of going to be my path into nonprofit space. And there hit a snag that led me to this pivot, which is I was working for a retail grocery chain. They had a 401k match, but at the store level, I realized a lot of people were not participating, even though, you know, it's really part of your compensation package. Although it's a lot harder when you're making $30,000 to take money out and put it into the 401k. So this became a real passion of mine at work, but I started to have conversations outside of work and realized that my MBA friends felt really comfortable managing a corporate balance sheet in a lot of instances. But when it came to their own money, they would say like, I don't know what that is. You know, no one's ever explained that. It wasn't part of the curriculum in business school. And so started teaching classes on the side and in October, so it'll be exactly one year uh, in about a week or so, decided to go and do this full time. Thank you for sharing that and for giving more context. Just to backtrack a little bit. So I know you were a management consultant before business school and, you know, afterwards you certainly had your job, you worked for a company, but also being now an entrepreneur. And so I'm just curious, as you think back to your time at HBS, uh, what were some of those experiences maybe from HBS that were valuable to you either with your first job out of business school or even now as being an entrepreneur? So my five years in management consulting, I did a lot of strategy work and I was based in DC and got to work with a lot of big government agencies and also a lot of nonprofits, but I hadn't been as much on the financial side of things. So one of the courses, and I actually, I laugh, I didn't realize that this was the search fund class when I signed up for it, but it was called financial management of smaller firms, obviously super relevant to what I'm doing now, but I would say learning a lot about how to manage the books, how to look at the financials of a small business, A, and B, thinking about entrepreneurship, which there are a lot of different courses around that at HBS and they break you into small groups when I was there and you had to actually start a business. So I think some of that experience was very helpful, but also as I've thought about how to finance this business, I've been very thoughtful at not about not raising money at this stage and potentially not period. And I, I think a lot of that comes down to, there's a, a former HBS professor who used to say, do you want to be rich or do you want to be a king? Which is sort of a funny framework. But I think that I have wanted to have the control over the direction of the business. And HBS really gave me a good framework for thinking about how I wanted to. Yes. It's funny that you bring up that concept when I was going my own way and making the jump to entrepreneurship. That is that HBR article is something that one of my friends who was an entrepreneur actually sent to me and, and they more or less asked me the same thing. So I definitely can relate to what you just said. And 
and how that really applied to you. One other question that I had for you was that, you know, presumably being a management consultant, I, I'm going to assume that you work with some larger organizations, right? And, or advised larger organizations in, in terms of the, the clients that you served. And certainly now being an entrepreneur, you're very much in a smaller, a much smaller organization, right? And I'm just curious, how have you enjoyed or navigated through certainly earlier in your career and maybe even a little bit after business school, working in much larger organizations to, you know, now where you're maybe in the business of yourself. And I think you maybe have a couple other people who are helping along the way, but what's that experience been like for you? It's a good question. And I think being in big organizations, you get to build really good relationships with the other people that you're working with and also have people who have expertise that's not yours or also just a set of eyes that's not yours to be able to give you feedback, to bounce ideas off of, et cetera. And I think that's the hardest part about starting off as a solo entrepreneur. At this point, I do have someone who's working with me and I also have one or two consultants who actually, for the most part, are alumni who took my course, who wanted to help me grow, who themselves are MBAs, who have a marketing background or have a branding background who have brought that to the team. So I think when you're in big organizations, learning as much as you can also because a lot of times someone's paying to train you but now being able to take that training and apply it to myself and so the hardest part of being an entrepreneur is that you have to create all the systems and processes yourself and that helps create discipline but I think having worked for a number of large organizations that had good systems and processes it has helped me have a lot of that as a sort of second nature of okay this is how you run a meeting this is how to structure your time during the week. And I've been able to take that into my own company. That's great. And speaking of your own company, I'd love for you to talk about it a little bit more. So tell us a little bit more about Her Personal Finance. You teased it out in terms of, I know you've been working on this for at least a year and whatnot, but you know what is it? And tell us a little bit more about why you decided to start it. It's an online education platform focused on personal finance. And I focus on high earners post-grad school primarily women. And I think that there is increasingly a push and an acknowledgement that why do we learn about trapezoids in school, but not how to do taxes? And that's like a meme that's gone around the internet a lot. So some of you may have seen that. But recognizing that that there's really a dearth of information. And also one of the reasons I particularly focus on women is that I think that the people talk a lot about the wage gap. They don't talk as much about the investing gap, but women tend to feel less confident than men about starting. Once we actually do invest, we often have better outcomes apart because we don't trade as actively. But I think helping people feel more confident about what action to take so that they can achieve their financial goals, whatever those are for them, is what I'm really passionate about. And so I launched with one course, 10 weeks, really focused on people, post-grad school, work a lot with MBAs. At this point, I've had I have three different iterations of the class and I'm actually about to launch the fourth, which is exciting, but I teach physicians, which is an audience. If you think about, at least as MBAs, we, we know what a stock and a bond is. They teach us that in school. If you're a physician, there's really almost no financial education at any point in that multi-year education process. And the other strange thing that happens is you go from being a resident and a fellow to being an attending and your salary in some instances is like quadrupling more than that sometimes. And it's really overwhelming to try to figure out what to do with your money. So I've been really excited to have a partnership with a hospital system where I'm getting to work directly with their 
physicians and trainees in some instances. And so have tailored that curriculum because they have different needs. Someone who's post MBA, for example, a lot of them are pursuing public service loan forgiveness. Most MBAs are doing that. And, you know, I'm excited because I've primarily taught live, which has been great because I've gotten to get a lot of feedback from students. I've iterated on the class like seven, eight times now. Keep trying to make it better. And I'm about to launch an on-demand version of the class, which will be, you can take it in the comfort of your own home, whenever works for you from a time zone perspective. And you can binge it in a week if you want. I think it's probably better to take it out over a couple of weeks so that you can actually be thoughtful about some of the exercises, think about what some of your goals are. And I'm really excited to launch that. And it'll also have kind of a more accessible price point because you are kind of watching those videos on demand. And I'm, I'm really excited to have a way to reach more people and be able to scale up that offering. That's great. Thank you for sharing it. And I have so many thoughts or questions, particularly as someone who is also building their own business and going through things. But a couple of things I just wanted to maybe drill into a little bit. The people that you're targeting, in some ways, it makes a lot of sense as you've explained it. But I'd be just be curious, how did you figure out um, drawing very much from like a product management or product development process? How did you figure out that what problem to solve for whom? But did you have friends who were doctors? I mean, the MBA one certainly makes sense in terms of classmates, but could you just maybe talk a little bit more about this process of bringing this all to life and how you pick the particular uh, people that you wanted to serve and focus on, at least just in getting started? It's a great question. And I will be honest that initially what, what I really wanted to create, and I want to get back to this later, but is a product designed for people who work in retail or service industry who have good benefits at work, but aren't necessarily in a position to take advantage of them and also really want to create Spanish language products. But I happen to be in a moment in my life as well. I'm someone who cares a lot about politics and was also doing a lot of work trying to get my friends and I involved in causes we cared about and had brought some speakers in. And one of the advice that they gave us was like, instead of trying to organize a community that's not yours, focus on your community first. That's where you have the best relationships. That's who you know, that's where you understand the problem. So taking that political advice, it, it really resonated with me. So obviously that's where I started with MBAs. And what's interesting is I started to have in, MD MBAs that were in my class or others who it, the referral engine, which is where almost all of my growth happened initially, I happened to keep getting people in medicine in the class. And they were the ones that would be the most vocal voices to say like, you need to bring this to physicians. And so that kind of happened organically and has opened up a market that I'm, I'm excited about because I, I get a lot of satisfaction about or through being able to work with a population that feels really overwhelmed when they're finishing their training and are finally making like their real salary after all these years that don't feel like they know what to do with it. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I think so much about what you just talked about really is two things. Number one is, is being able to listen, right? In terms of being able to listen with the feedback that's out there, as well as the empathy, right? In terms of being able to understand or at least try to put yourself in other shoes. And so much of that, I think, also comes from our own lived experiences. And you had mentioned earlier that working in your post-MBA role certainly gave you a lot of insight into wanting to do something in terms of financial empowerment. But I'd be curious just what other experiences in your life between that one and just experiencing Enron maybe in particular made you really energized in particular about helping women in particular achieve their financial goals and through financial literacy? 
one of my life experiences, not related to, to women, but I did meals on wheels a lot growing up. And I think that really underscored to me the impact of not saving for the future because you would get to build relationships and really get to provide direct service and bringing food every week to people who weren't, didn't necessarily have options once they got into retirement. And sometimes they had a great family support network, but still, you know, if they had children that were working, they still needed a little bit of extra help to give them that support. So I think that that was one and worked there with a variety of women and men. But I think that the second piece, and, and I'm a Texan, and so I was very frustrated post-MBA moving back to Texas and hearing one of two conversations. Either my husband manages my finances, which for good or for bad, 80% of women at some point in their life are going to be solely responsible for their finances. We live longer. Divorce is more and more common later in life. And, and not all women get married, which is the other piece to it. And I think related to that was also frustrated seeing some of my super smart, super well-educated friends who were single and dating, waiting to get partnered before they were going to make financial decisions. And even I don't want to buy a house because would that potential partner want to move into a house that I own? So really wanting to fight against some of those attitudes that I think keep women from building wealth. Thank you for sharing that. And I appreciate you bringing some of your own lived experiences and, and sharing a little bit more about them. So knowing these conversations that you're having with women through your class and through your teaching and training, I would just love to know what are some of the common questions or common topics that kind of keep coming up over and over again in terms of in the class? You know, what are those kind of either things they're curious about or maybe in other cases, those pain, those bigger pain points that tend to come up over and over again? So one of the things, particularly for MBAs, will be, <laughs> I'll say two things. One, do I pay off my student loans or do I use that cash for something else? Yeah. And another one would be, should I invest this cash when the market is at an all-time high right now? I'm nervous about getting in. And so what do I do with that? Especially if you're looking to buy a home. And so maybe that's in two years from now and you're trying to figure out, do I invest it or not? So I, do you want me to speak a little bit to how yeah. I think about those two questions? I'd love to, I would love to hear, hear your thoughts. Yeah. So student loans is obviously a more complex question. And I'll say, I personally, based in large part on a conversation I had with a friend right out of undergrad, am a big believer, and this has been built up over a lot of experience in reading and research over time, and investing while you pay off debt. And it really depends if you should pay off your student loans first or invest. But let's say you get to business school and you didn't save as much for retirement before business school. The thing about retirement is that historically, and there's no guarantee this is going to do the same in the future, but markets have returned about 10% a year, maybe 7% if you want to take 3% out for inflation, but 7% is generally thought of as a pretty average return. And you're not going to get that every year, but hopefully it's going to average out to that. So if you have a student loan, especially if you're an MBA and you've refinanced it, and right now people are refinancing in the 2% range. So if you have a loan that you've refinanced at 2%, it probably doesn't make sense to pay that loan off, especially if you're early in your retirement journey. On the flip side, if you have loans that are higher interest and a lot of federal loans, although more so I would say people who are graduating now 
their federal loans are going to be in the 5% interest rate range. But so if you have a 5% interest rate loan, all of a sudden it's a little bit closer. 5% is what I consider high interest. And so if it's 6 or 7% interest, then almost certainly you either want to refinance or you do want to pay that off more, more quickly because A, you're paying the bank a lot more in interest, but B, it's a lot less clear. While you hope to get a 7% return on average, you're not going to get a 7% return in every year. And generally paying off or refinancing that debt really quickly makes sense the higher the interest rate is. But I always encourage MBAs to refinance if you're not pursuing public service loan forgiveness or there are some small other reasons you wouldn't want to refinance. But for the most part, you can get a much lower interest rate and you can also often save some money and what you're paying every month, which then gives you extra cash available for fun stuff, retirement, saving for a house down payment, whatever that is for you. Thank you for sharing that. I know that student debt is a hot topic for both current students as well as alum who are experiencing it and living it. So I really appreciate you going a little bit deeper on that as a, as a follow, follow up. One thing I was thinking about, and we talked a little bit about before jumping on this, I'd be curious to know why you think, or maybe from your own just conversations for some MBAs, they can literally manage a P&L of a business like in their sleep, or they can get to a point where they can do that. But sometimes they struggle thinking about this for themselves. So the fundamentals of you know finance still certainly apply. But I've just always wondered that as someone who likes very much volunteering and raising my, I could, if I have to manage finances or finance for my business, I, I have a pretty good grasp on how to do that. But sometimes I struggle myself from thinking about even some of the topics that you have brought up already. What do you think is the perhaps challenge or disconnect that sometimes happens? So there's an expression that personal finance is 80% psychology, 20% know-how. Sure. And I think that the psychology or emotional part becomes a lot bigger. A, let's imagine you have a partner. Now all of a sudden, it's not just you making decisions. It's you and someone else. And sure, you could argue a corporate environment. You're probably not making decisions about a P&L and a vacuum, but a lot harder to get on the same page with your partner who you have a lot of emotion around that relationship. They might feel uncomfortable talking to you about money. Maybe you make more money than they do. And so it becomes a little bit of a power dynamic there. So I think making decisions around other people is really hard. But B, because I think it's really hard even if you're single as well. I remember I wasn't single that long ago and it's still difficult to make those decisions. And I think that when it's someone else's money, it also feels a lot less charge. It's a lot harder. And I guess if it's your business, it, that's it. You bring a different lens to it than when it's your personal financial decisions. And I think we all feel FOMO. You go to some dinner party, the person next to you is telling you about the cool stock that they're buying. And it just plants this little seed in you of, oh my gosh, am I not doing it right? Is everyone else making more money than me? And so I think that all of the social pieces of it are really what make it hard. Plus that we don't get formal education in this. Totally, totally. I, I think you hit it spot on the nose. And it's funny because I'm living through this a little bit right now with both of the things you just said. Shout out to my girlfriend, but we just <laughs> had the finance conversation a couple of weeks ago and it's going well and we're, we're very much on the same page, but we definitely are, as we think about our own kind of future together, thinking through uh, some of those questions that you just raised and some of the things and the milestones that we have in life. And now that, well, before I should say, when it was just one person, 
that was a different set of equations and a different set of answers. And now that it's, and potentially, you know, maybe down the road, maybe more one day, it starts even, you know, adding another layer of thought, at least a very minimum complexity, if we're probably being honest. But the other thing to the point about FOMO, and I'm definitely seeing this in my circles because I work in tech, uh, I can't tell you, I I can't go a day without getting a text or conversation about NFTs, about crypto, about all sorts of other types of things, search funds, um, other types of alternative assets to think about or invest in. Certainly last year, Robinhood and GameStop and all of these things. And part of it might just be the, particularly with the types of folks who tend to be in my orbit, these are the things that they're thinking about because of the you know, position that they're in. But I also think that it's very easy sometimes, particularly with something when it comes to money and finances and certainly wanting to secure your future. Uh, it is easy to look at what other people are doing. And, and and even if you know it's not what you want to ask yourself the question of, should I, do they know something that I don't? Should I be looking looking at this? How should Or how should I be looking at this for that matter? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Totally agree. We all feel FOMO sometimes, but I'm just going to say less than 5% of your portfolio. Go ahead and play. Yep. Don't make, don't put all your retirement in Bitcoin. No. Don't. Yes, for sure. For sure. Okay. So. It's been great talking about this, but I'd love to talk a little bit more about just in terms of building this business on your own. As we mentioned, you worked in the corporate world and now you're in the world of entrepreneurship. Talk to me a little bit about what have you enjoyed most about, you know, being a founder? You know, what are some of the elements of building your own business that you've really gotten a lot of joy and energy out of? It's a really good question. I would say one, it's really powerful to get to set the direction and steer the ship. And one of the things I struggled with in my last role before I did this full time is we had some changes in leadership and I had, I think, four different bosses in three years. And so it is really nice to get to create that stability at the top and get to call the shots. And second, I would say one of the things they don't teach you, or at least they did not in my MBA program, is sales or marketing. Marketing is there, but definitely not as much B2B sales or kind of direct selling. And it's been very rewarding to get to figure out who are my ideal targets in terms of selling to put together the pitch and just get to yes with the customer because that's not something that I'd ever done before. And it's definitely high pressure. And there have been times I sit at my computer refreshing, refreshing. My husband says, okay, you need to walk away. It's been 10 minutes. Nothing's going to happen right now. But it is really exciting to get to be in charge and then see results when you do something good. That's great. And I can certainly relate to you on some of those things, having not also had a background in sales, but I would also love to uh, encourage any MBAs out there. If you do have the privilege of having a sales class in your, your MBA school, I really encourage you to take it because whether you want to believe it or not, all of us are selling something or will be selling something at some point in our lives. I definitely can relate to that. Erin, thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing a little bit about your journey to building her personal finance. It sounds like you've done some great things and you have some more exciting things coming up down the road. If our listeners want to learn more, if they want to connect with you, if they want to maybe sign up for your course, where can they find you? Where should they go? Thanks, Al, for asking that. So my website, which is herpersonalfinance.com, and I'm launching my new on-demand course October 18th, for those of you listening to this later, and also am very active on Instagram, trying to share daily personal finance tips, and I'm at at 
her.personal.finance and would love to see you there as well. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.